right, what's going on? Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the People Show, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Chime in 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber, three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Not a lot of time to dig into uh, everything that we saw last night in a rousing Vancouver Canucks victory, 6-2. to two. We'll chat about it all with Yannick Hansen later on in the show. But on Tuesdays, it's, it's always busy. Uh, we kick it off with our guy, uh, Mark Schofield from SB Nation, NFL writer. Love chatting to him here on Tuesdays. Mark, how's it going? Bick, when I woke up this morning, I didn't think you and I were going to get a chance to talk about Carson Wentz. <laughs> but here we are. Because it's just in the past couple of hours, the Los Angeles Rams have signed, yes, Carson Wentz, formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles, the oh. Indianapolis Colts, and the Washington Commanders to be their backup quarterback behind Mr. Matthew Stafford. So do we, are we spending all 20 on Carson Wentz, or are we going to like divvy it up a little bit? I, I just wonder what he's been doing, right? I, it's always funny when we think, oh, like, oh, this guy just came off the couch. It's like I don't think he's actually sitting there on the couch crushing potato chips on Sunday. But it is always funny to think of the guys that we've long forgotten, that they're probably still working out, waiting to get their chance. And here here comes, of all people, Carson Wentz sidling in. Well, you saw that image of him from the summer, right? There was this picture that came out that, he, you know, and I forget who tweeted it out, but it was like Carson Wentz is still working out every day, waiting for teams to call. And he had, I think, a Colts helmet on, a commander's jersey. Oh, amazing. And then an Eagles set of shorts. And it's like... <laughs> Is this the best I even wrote about it in Espionation? Like, is this the argument? Is this argument a winner in your mind? Because you're just showing the world and reminding them that, like, these are the three teams that gave up on you. Like, is that the best argument? I don't know, but it clearly worked from the Rams' perspective. And interestingly enough, it's sort of a full circle moment because the Rams could have drafted Wentz back in 16. Right. They went with yeah. Goff instead. And, you know, then Philadelphia made their trade to go get Wentz. But, Sort of life coming full circle. But, yeah, I did not expect – I mean, we could go down the ghosts of quarterbacks past if you want, but I didn't think once was going to be on the topic for today's show. <laughs> Let's bypass that. Let's bypass that. Let's get to the cool stuff. Uh, I, I imagine, like, the guy I want to talk about and, you know, the throw of the week, I, I, I tend to think they always go hand in hand. Uh, so but let's start with the throw of the week for you uh, from week nine. I do think it's going to be the player we're going to end up talking about. It's C.J. Stroud. Yeah. It's C.J. Yeah. Stroud. And – Look, take your pick. I mean, my favorite from my perspective, and they're both from the game winning drive, but it's the corner route, that deep sort of seven route, we call it in the playbook, to Tank Dell on the left sideline when they had just crossed midfield. And we've talked a lot over the years about that specific route and how tough it is to throw. And he gets lucky in a sense. They run sort of a mirrored, you know, smash concept where you've got corner route, to both sides of the field, route to the flat, to both sides of the field. Ball's on the left hash mark, so against sort of spot drop cover two with two deep safeties and the underneath zone coverage as well, it's sort of a pick-your-side throw. So he takes the shorter throw, but it's still a very long throw. You've got to navigate it over that underneath corner. You've got to drop it in before the sideline. You've got to get it away from that safety who's going to be coming over. Yes, it's the soft spot of the coverage, but 
You've got a lot to navigate. He's got some pressure in the pocket as well. And to make that throw in that spot is like an off the chart moment. It's it's I, I've talked before about the put the pen down moment, right? When you're right. taking notes, because I'm still a old school pen and paper guy. And you just put the pen down and you're like, yep, I've seen everything I need to see. I'm good. I'm done. That was tremendous. But then he followed it up with perhaps an even better throw. I, st- I still go with the seven route, but the touchdown to win the game because he's they've got double posts, so it's two post routes to the right side of the formation. He knows it's zone coverage because they bump the back out pre-snap and he aligns across the boundary across from a corner. So he knows, look, uh, unless they're using a corner on a running back in man coverage, this is likely a zone coverage. Look, and he gets zone coverage. It's quarters, cover four, four deep. And in that coverage scheme, defenders will play with outside leverage. So the post route is going to have the advantage. But the defender knows if I've got a post route, i got to jump underneath it. And the defender does that. And Stroud anticipates it. It puts the throw like literally inches away from the outstretched arms of the defender who undercuts it to try to break it up. Just two tremendous throws. For my money, it's the corner route. You know, Stephen Ruiz had a great piece about Stroud, and he talked about the touchdown um, over at the Rainer, which was, again, a tremendous throw, and Stephen did a great job talking about that and everything that went into that completion. But Stroud has been absolutely tremendous, and if you were like me and you had him as QB1, this is the game that you had in mind when you made that declaration. Yeah, so you know, we talked pre-draft, and you know I was kind of the mind of you know Richardson and, and Stroud should have gone ahead of Bryce Young. It was, it was more about prototypes, but you right. you don't necessarily see the acceleration of that you know take come to, to fruition so early, and for a player to kind of feel like he's scratching or at least showing you the ceiling of what he can be as a player nine weeks into his career. So you know I, I think the other thing that we always overlook is landing spot of of where the player has been drafted, rather than draft order, but it feels like he's got this perfect marriage now with the offensive coordinator, too. So it's not just that he was a qualified player, it's that he's landed in a great spot, and how much has that accelerated uh, his process here? Yeah, it, it has a ton. And you and I, you know, we both have, you know, strongly talked about and pointed to landed spot over the years that we've been doing these shows together about how critical it is. I mean, you look at... You know, we talked about Anthony Richardson and her reasons to sort of buy into Richardson mm-hmm. still having a tremendous NFL careers, as we talked about. Shane Steichen, what he did with Jalen Hurts, that proof of concept that, look, what worked for Jalen Hurts should probably work really well for Anthony Richardson in the years to come. And so I still think that Richardson's going to have a great NFL career because he's in an ideal landing spot. Bryce Young, Jerry is obviously still out. He's struggled a little bit. And I think part of it is while the landing spot from a coaching perspective has been great for him, the talent around him might be lacking right now. And yes, Adam Thielen is still a solid NFL wide receiver, but as we saw from the Indianapolis Colts this past Sunday, when you go inside out on him or you bracket him, where else is Bryce Young going to go? And so that's going to be part of the process for Young. With respect to Stroud, the marriage between offensive coordinator and quarterback has been tremendous. And I think when we get to, say, January, when you hear some rumblings at their OC, get some head coaching looks, remember what we talked about today. The chemistry with Dell, who Stroud wanted. I mean, Stroud was an advocate for them drafting mm-hmm. Tank Dell, who I sat next to waiting for our flight in Indianapolis after the combine. And I'm not the biggest man in the world. Tank Dell is smaller than me. And I've often had a rule that you probably shouldn't draft NFL players unless they're kickers that are smaller than me. Tank Dell seems to be the exception to that rule because he's been tremendous. 
their receiving core has been on the same page with him. The chemistry between all the receivers and Stroud has been huge. So it gets to that idea of land and spot. It's been, and, and you know, one of the question marks and it remains a question mark for Houston is offensive line. It hasn't been great. They've had guys banged up at times, but he's able to create space as a passer with his feet. He's on the same page with the receivers. So if he has to sort of come off of a route or create something of a scramble drill, the receivers are going to be where he expects them to be. And so the landed spot has been huge. I mean, again, I don't think it's time to sort of write off Bryce Young or anything like that. But Stroud has been, I think it's fair to say, the most impressive of these rookie QBs. Uh, talking to Mark Schofield, as we do here on Tuesdays, uh, looking at the quarterback landscape. Uh, okay, a couple of things uh, I want to touch on. Uh, Tua, in particular the throw that I think caused a lot of confusion for a lot of people. Now, he claimed it was miscommunication, but I wonder if miscommunication that scenario is – if you're throwing it short, if the DB's reading what you're seeing, I feel like that's a pick. Yeah, I mean, in, in most cases, that's a pick. And, you know, it gets to, in many instances, and this was a discussion actually that I was having with J.P. Acosta about the Geno Smith interception from early in the game against Baltimore, right? Mm-hmm. When you as a defense sort of spin things at the snap or try to create confusion at the snap, it might be that the quarterback reads it right, but you might also confuse a receiver. You might confuse a tight end or whoever is going to be on the other end of it. You might get them on a different page, and that could be a very critical thing for your defense. Now, I think, you know, with respect to two and the throw that everybody's talking about, yeah, I mean, you'd like to see him be on the same page. You'd like to see him and the receiver be on the exact same page, but sometimes it doesn't happen. You know, sometimes the defense gets the better end of things, whether it's something they do pre-snap, something they do post-snap, something they do in both situations. And I think, you know, early in the game, yeah, they had a little bit of a comeback. But early in the game, and I was watching that, I was taking notes on it, my main takeaway was Steve Spagnuolo masterclass. I I thought their defensive coordinator for Kansas City did a tremendous job in that game, uh, disguising things, uh, creating some confusion, uh, getting people on different pages, their simulated pressure game, that pressure game I thought was fantastic. There was an early game slot blitz that nobody saw coming. And the slot defender did such a great job of doing that. I think Trent McDuffie had himself a huge game. You had that lateral touchdown where he blew up mm-hmm. a screen right before half. Right when it looked like, look, that was a 14-0 game. Miami's driving right before half. They score there. They get the ball. It could be 14-14 before you know it. Instead, it's 21-0. So instead of that double dip, it's 21 nothing, And this is a much different game than we thought. So I, I think Kansas City's defense deserves a lot of credit. We've got a piece up by now uh, by J.P. Acosta on SB Nation talking about Kansas City's defense. And interestingly enough, it seems like they're pulling the offensive lawn, whereas in years past, it's been Patrick Mahomes and company pulling that defensive lawn. But you know, when quarterback and receiver aren't on the same page, it creates problems for an offense. And that's what we saw on Sunday. Uh, okay, I, I like looking at history to try to maybe predict the future um, and, and maybe finding models you can use to, 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 to showcase your own team's success. And right now, I feel like the Buffalo Bills are in this tough spot where, you know, the defense is kind of falling apart because of injuries, not because of anything structurally to me. And we, we keep trying to talk about this refined version of Josh Allen. And I just look at this team right now, and I kind of feel like they, they should just tap into what the 2012 Ravens were. When they just said, like, Joe Flacco, just our defense is old. We're falling a bit apart. If we have to give up 35 to the Broncos in the playoffs, let's just go do it. But we have to go put up 38. And I just kind of feel like that's what this Bills team needs to do. Just say, our window might be this year or next year, 
and right now Josh Allen just just go nuts. I, I, am I crazy about this one? I mean, that could work. The fear is it almost plays into some of the the you know bigger demons of Josh Allen, the quarterback. But right? th- you're right. But I don't know what else they're supposed to do to try to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean. I, now I now I totally see your point there, and I think that that probably is the bigger point is that they don't have another card to play. Yeah, you know their best card at this point might just be the simple fact that look, Josh, if we got to live with three interceptions, that's fine. If you got to do what you got to do week in and week out just to create magic and play hero ball, that's the only card we have left to play because our defense is so banged up at this point. You know, when you've got Josh Norman on the field at the end of a game against Cincinnati, like, it's not 2018. You know, it's 2023. This is a much different Josh Norman. That tells you where you are from a defensive perspective. Like, when you can't get stops, when you're so banged up that you're going to have to win every game in shootout fashion, you know, that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to just let the Bronco buck when it comes to Josh Allen. You're going to have to live with a three-interception game because you might get the four-touchdown game. You might get the game that they had against the Miami Dolphins. They're such a strange team, mm-hmm. the Buffalo Bills this year, because, you know, going into this week, I felt like, okay, this might be a game that they'd turn around and win, right? Because what have we seen from them this year? They play to the level of competition, oddly enough, right? You blow out the Miami Dolphins. You play a clunker and let you win against New York. You play a clunker and let you lose, you know, against the Giants. You play a clunker and let you lose against the New England Patriots. Okay, now you're playing the Bengals, who seem to be coming back. This is going to be a game where you're going to just turn around and blow them out. You're going to win that game. It's going to be like the Miami game, and they lost it. And so now it's the point where, look, you can't run the ball. You're not going to be – you've really never been able to run the ball in the Josh Allen years anyway. You can't get the stops that you need on the defense side of the ball because you're so banned up. So I guess, yeah. You know, what else – what do you get to lose at this point? Uh, talking to Mark Schofield, as we do on Tuesdays here on the People Show. Um, okay, we, we talked about the throws that you like, not even just from the – you know, C.J. Stroud, but but the type of throws that impress you. Have you ever seen anything as impressive as what Joshua Dobbs did this weekend? Or like they're no. practicing the cadence on the sideline. They're, they're learning the plays as he goes along. I, I I don't have any context for what this is. Like I, I don't think we've ever seen that before. No, and what, what this reminded me of when I was growing up. One of my favorite books as a kid was something called Quarterback Walk On, and you can still find it. It's on Amazon. And it's about this fictitious big time college program in Texas where. You know, the star starting quarterback gets suspended for violating the team rule. The backup gets sick. The third-string guy gets an injury in practice. And suddenly they're down to their walk-on, this four-string guy, and they're trying to get him ready to play. And they do things like, I remember there's this scene of the book where he sat down with the with the playbook and with the cadence and recorded himself doing the cadence and then taped it for the offensive line. And they would listen to it during the week to listen to his voice. And I couldn't help but remember that book, which I still love, when you see in the image of Josh Dobbs, you see in the video of him going over the five cadences. He didn't know receivers' names. And the other thing was the terminology. And I don't think this can be overstated. When you hear Kevin O'Connell say, yeah, I was translating our play calls for him over the radio, you know, helmet radio before the snap. And people might say, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, coming from different systems, you might call post-wheel peel, for example, but it might be razor in a system that you're used to. So not only does Dobbs have to sort of on the field in the moment, like understand what he's being asked to do, O'Connell has to translate it for him. 
And so he's now thinking, okay, well, what does he call this? Okay, that's what we call this. Okay, so now you're going to get these routes on the left side and these routes on the right side. It, to do that in the middle of a game for a game and in a week where you didn't get a single snap of the ones in practice. And to not just go out and win. Because, I mean, they could have won this game and he'd have thrown two interceptions and maybe had a couple of fumbles. And it still would have been an amazing performance. But he went 20 of 30. For two touchdowns, no picks. He had a touchdown run. They won this game in overtime, and it was on the road. I mean, it wasn't like at home mm-hmm. where you might have a little bit of a friendly environment. Not that he was really home for him. It was still probably all new Minnesota, and it still is all new for him. But this was just an incredible, like improbable performance. And not only that, to top it off with the TikTok he just dropped, <laughs> where he's playing the Creed, and he's got himself superimposed from that legendary Thanksgiving Day halftime show down in Dallas in 2001, which, again, I had to write about that, as well as what Dobbs did and how improbable was. I don't think we'll ever see anything like it. I mean, I haven't seen anything like that before, other than in a book that I still love from my childhood days. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like it again. Last one for me. I've actually been wanting to talk about this guy for, for a little while, and it's unfortunate that he went up against C.J. Stroud. But Baker Mayfield, is, is he kind of coming back to what we thought pre-draft. Now, he's not some physical marvel or anything like that, but it, it feels like he's more in control, and and it's a fun version of Baker. It is a fun version of Baker. And, again, I think when we get to January, and, again, we get – I've talked about the, the hiring cycle. Dave Canales is going to be on the list, too, you know, because what he's done with Baker this year to get the best version of Baker Mayfield. Now, Baker still had some struggles here and there, but this is a cleaner version of Baker. It's a more confident version of Baker. You know, I I think, and interestingly enough, some people that are a lot closer to Mayfield than I am said before this year, like, keep an eye on Baker. Like, Baker's at his best when people are counting him out, when people are saying that he's not going to win a job or he's not going to be good enough. And, you know, let's not forget a couple of months ago we were talking about the much ballyhooed Kyle Trask versus Baker Mayfield, you know, quarterback camp battle. And people were saying, oh, you know, they're just going to set themselves up to draft a Caleb Williams or a Drake May. Now I'm not so sure. Maybe they still go down the quarterback road, but we're seeing some of the best Baker, some of the most confident Baker Mayfield we've seen probably since maybe that one game he had when he just came over with the Rams, almost similar to Josh Dobbs in a sense. He was learning the playbook, but at least he got some snaps with the ones before taking the field, unlike Dobbs did, maybe since the the Browns days, but we're seeing the best, most confident version of Baker, and it's a good thing to see. And look, they're in the NFC South. They can still win that division. That division is so chaotic. Uh, actually, really quickly, uh, while we're talking about offensive coordinators, I couldn't help but picture uh, Detroit's Ben Johnson going to Atlanta next year. It, it just feels like like that's what I want to see. Yeah, I mean, it would be fantastic. I don't know. Remember, he was getting the head coaching interviews and stuff like that. He was on everybody's mind last offseason. Mm-hmm. said, no, 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 I'm good. I'm happy where I am. Maybe he's one of those guys. That, maybe he's sort of looking around at, say, the Josh McDaniels of the world and said, you know what? I don't need that. Like, I'm I'm happy being an <laughs> offensive coordinator. I don't need that. I mean, let's, let's be honest. The Raiders seemed pretty happy in the locker room Sunday after oh, yeah. the Giants. They seemed really happy. No, but with Johnson, if he does want to go the head coach route, that would, I mean, imagine what he could do with, I guess, quarterback to be named later and everything else they have in that offensive room. That, to me, just feels like the perfect spot for him. If he was cherry-picking his spot, I, I just think, go there. Uh, I mean, look, look, if if somebody was crazy enough to say, look, Mark, you could be an offensive coordinator or head coach wherever you want, <laughs> I'd say, yeah, I'll be, a, I'll be in Atlanta, and then the next sound you hear is my alarm going off because I'm clearly dreaming. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, Mark, uh, we appreciate it as always. Uh, we'll chat next week. It'll be a fun one. Sounds good, my friend. Enjoy the games this weekend. Always a blast. That's our guy, Mark Schofield, at Mark Schofield on socials. Make sure you give him a follow. Uh, maybe grab that uh, fictional book as well. <laughs> I always love our chats with Mark. Uh, all right, it's Tuesday. We get to it. It's Bix Best with the Power Rankings. This one hurt today. This one hurt me today. Uh, I, 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 I had to drop the Seahawks out of the top ten. Had to. Jaguars coming at number ten just ahead of the Seahawks. It, look, this is the thing. If the Seahawks offensive line isn't going to block, I'll just take the better quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is better than Geno Smith. I'll happily say that. So that's the edge right there. Jaguars coming at number 10. They were on a bye last, last week, so let's move past them. Browns at number 9. Look, it's really thin between all these teams here. Jaguars, Seahawks, Cowboys, Lions, Bills. But to me, the reason I put the Browns here is they got the best unit. They, they have the best defense in the league. Yeah, there's issues at quarterback. Yeah, they're missing guys uh, on the offensive line. Yeah, they lost Nick Chubb, but they have an edge that the other team just don't have. Lions coming at number eight because at least they have the offensive line. They got something that the other teams don't. That offensive line will take them. They've obviously improved defensively. We'll worry about them here moving forward because this week, obviously, they're coming in off the bye. So let's move past the Detroit Lions into number eight. As we were just talking about with Mark, I think – the best way the Buffalo Bills are going to do this is just unleash Josh Allen. Live with it. If it's three interceptions and four touchdowns, live with it. But right now, I'm really worried about this team defensively, but at least they got that supernova at quarterback with a star player like Stephon Diggs. Dalton Kincaid starting to emerge here with back-to-back good weeks. They just got to lean into what that offense can be its best version, even if it comes with a couple of warts. This is when it starts to get interesting. I think there's a tier here that starts to open up. The Dolphins are in their own tier at number six. It's a good loss to the Chiefs. They were outmuscled, outwitted for most of that game. Steve Spagnolo is a genius right now. The Chiefs are secretly a defensive team, even with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid at the helm. And it's a it's a good loss. You learn something, I hope. Came down to the wire, but the Dolphins. They're going to be plucky. They're going to be difficult. They're going to be frustrating. But if they're going up against one of the top five teams, I just feel like that's too big of a leap for them. And then here's where another tier, a cluster of three, starts to begin. This is the true Super Bowl group, but there's even a circle within the circle. But right now, the tier of the next three starts with the Cincinnati Bengals. They've backed into this group. They've ascended. They go get that big win against the Bills. And now you've stabilized your season all of a sudden. And you look at it, and the Bengals, from where they were preseason, then after week three, you look at their schedule here. It's Houston, it's Baltimore, it's Pittsburgh, it's Jacksonville, it's Indianapolis, all on the way for the Bengals. They can pick up some W's there and kind of sit in this nice little area. 49ers coming off a bye, a bunch of losses there. We'll worry about them next week, but they hold true at number four. And the Eagles, this is where that trio kind of rounds out. Eagles coming at number three. They, they look solid, but I really worry about what that passing defense looks like. They go up against a good offensive line, and the D-line can't get home. I'm a little bit worried about the coverage ability of the Eagles. And this is that final group. This is the circle within the circle. You still got Mahomes. You still got Andy Reid. The Chiefs coming at number two. Not much to say about them. They're, they are so good. And after that win, I think it's finally time to put the Ravens atop the power ranks. They look 
so good. Every facet of the game is working for them. Strong defensive line. They're causing all this chaos in the secondary, in the back seven. Simulated pressures, forcing QBs to go quick. DBs are there to pick it off. Geno Stone is playing unreal. Then there's Lamar Jackson, who's playing the best football he's ever played. Offensive line is working. Running game can go off for Keaton Mitchell, undrafted free agent, 130-plus yards on eight carries. You got Odell. You got Zay Flowers. You got Mark Andrews. It's all coming together with a really good coach in John Harbaugh. Ravens sit atop the power rankings here. Going into week 10 on Bick's Best. Back in a minute with our guy Yannick Hansen coming up here on The People's Show.